Well, I'm glad to see you today, and I'm glad to see the people who are worshiping with us online as well. We're always glad to have them. Thank you so much for being here. We are in a series right now, and that's Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, right? And that's what we've been talking about for several weeks. We've got some questions that we're going to talk about. Uh, if you haven't been here, I'm going to review those. This is the fourth of five weeks, so I hope that you'll be a part of all of those so you can ask yourself those questions. Now, I want to start today by telling you a story, okay? You get up for that? I want to thank both of you for that response, okay? Well, many times in life, we can tend to do some foolish things. Anybody in here ever do a foolish thing? Well, we just don't have time to talk about all the foolish things I've done and mistakes that I've made, especially when we get involved in anything that's wrong or immoral or hurtful to other people. We might appear to be smart, but sometimes it's obvious that we can be dumb. Now, recently this really happened. I read in Belgium, six armed men came into a little shop. The shopkeeper was there. They said, we're here to rob your store. The shopkeeper kept his cool. Listen to what he told him. He said, well, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you'll come back at 6 o'clock when we close, I'll have more money. <laughs> so they, these six people, the brain power of these six individuals got together and said, okay, you want to do that? Sure, sounds good to us. And so they left. But then they came back, and they came in an hour early. And the manager, the guy who owned the store, said, I told you, you guys need to get a watch. I told you to come back at 6. You're an hour early. If you come back at 6, there'll be more money. So these brain children, six of them, agreed to do. Can you believe that they said, we'll come back for a third time? <clears throat> and when they came in for a third time, there were some friends who were there to visit with them. They were from the police department. And they said, we want to bond with you. Come and spend time with us. We want to talk about things together, really get to know each other. And they took them to jail. Can you believe anybody could be that foolish? I mean, they make movies about dumb and dumber. These guys could have been in it and dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. You know, what about the foolish things that you and I do? I sure am glad they don't make movies about that. I don't want to talk about the dumb things I've done. There's so many of them. You know, but what about today we talk about making wise decisions? Because that's what this series is really all about. Now, if you've been tracking with us, we've been talking about the relationship between good questions and good decisions. You've got to have people to ask you good questions to help you make good decisions in life. Sometimes that can be a counselor or a friend, somebody in your family. And if you'll ask and answer the five questions honestly and act on those questions, then you might make better decisions and have fewer regrets. Your life will be better, but not only your life, the people who depend on you their life will be better as well now the first question if you haven't been here and this is on your phone if you want to keep up with it or you can just jot it down today if you want to do that is am I being honest with myself really and when you ask that question you have to put really at the end because the easiest person in the world to deceive is the person in the mirror we lie to ourselves all the time. It's very difficult for us to keep ourselves accountable. And I've told you in the past weeks, have you ever told somebody you're losing weight? 
but the scales don't agree with what you're saying. The facts don't show it, but we say it all the time. That's just an example of that. And then our second question, or first of all, you'll never get where you want to be until you're honest about where you are right now. Now, the second question is the legacy question. What story do I want to tell? We talked about Joseph. Joseph told stories, and there were stories about his life, and it was the story he wanted to tell. There weren't any stories. There weren't any gaps in his life because he always made the right decision. What stories do you want to tell your children and your grandchildren? You'll have to make the right decision. Your legacy will be important. You'll have to make the right decision for that to happen. The good news is you get to decide one decision at a time. Then the last time we were together, last week, we explored the conscience question. Now, the conscience question is this. Is there any tension that deserves attention? Let's say you're about to make a decision. You're trying to decide something. Everything seems like it's right, but there's this gnawing something in the back of your mind, something down in your gut, something that just says, I can't put my finger on it, but something is not right. Pay attention to the tension. Let it bother you. Be disturbed by it and take some time to think about it. Pause and pay attention to that tension because it could be important. And then the fourth thing there that I want to bring us to is the fourth question. That's the maturity question. We talked about Proverbs 27, 12. We're going to talk about the maturity question. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Prudent people are wise people. Not so prudent, unwise people pay the penalty. The maturity question is this. What is the wise thing to do? I need to always stop and ask that question. Whenever I've done that in my life, I've always made the right decision. But when I haven't stopped and I've just gone ahead with emotions, I don't always make the right decision. What is the wise thing for me to do? Now, my greatest regret has been preceded by unwise decisions. I might have made several in a row, and they led up to great regret. Wrong. They weren't necessarily wrong or illegal or immoral, but they were unwise. Unwise decisions pave the way to regret. So what's the wise thing for me to do? Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Christians in Ephesus, and it's the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians 5, this is what he said. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, here's what we've learned. Ancient people and us modern day folks aren't that different because we're both, we can be careless and unwise in what we choose to do. The Apostle Paul has given a warning. He says, stop doing that. Don't be careless. Be careful. Make the right choices. And then he says, making the most of every opportunity. Now, literally in the Greek, that could be translated redeeming and ransoming the time. See, that's where we get the English word opportunity. That's where it comes from. It's talking about reclaiming and redeeming all the time we've wasted. Have, has anybody here ever wasted time? 
man alive, let's don't even go down that track. I've wasted time. I've wasted time in school. I was in school, and I couldn't decide what major I was supposed to have. So I just took all of them. I changed one every semester. I had just about every major they had to offer. When I graduated, I almost had a triple major, because if you go to school long enough, that's what will happen, right? And, and, but boy, I wasted time. And then finally, I answered the call to the ministry. I transferred my, my school from one to another. I changed my major. I never looked back. And from then on, I was just on the right track and I was doing the right thing. And so imagine the opportunity, if you could relive and reallocate those days, weeks, and even years of your life, not to mention the money. Have you ever blown money, wasted money, <clears throat> bought things that you thought you really needed, but you didn't really need them because you just emotionally, you went in and did something spontaneously. You know, it would make your life more productive and healthier and you would give uh, more to life-giving activities if you could relive some of those things. Imagine where you'd be today if we could just appreciate the Apostle Paul's invitation. And what is he inviting us to do? He's inviting us to invest our time wisely. But he's not through. Then he gives us this odd caution as he's talking about this. Making the most of every opportunity, he says, because the days are evil. Now, what's that about? The days are evil. What's he talking about? Well, here's what I want you to see. We live in a culture that's not morally or ethically neutral. We think the culture is really worse today than it's ever been. In a lot of ways, it probably is. But if you look back in history, it's always been the culture versus Christianity. People way, way back in the Bible, they were always seeing an ugly culture out there, and then they were seeing the, the difference of the Christian faith. Think about the Romans and the Christians back in those days, and they did everything wrong that you possibly could, and Christian people were just killed and and tortured and made slaves. I mean, it was a terrible kind of place to be. But here's what I want you to see. Nobody in culture says, now be careful, be wise, be self-controlled. I'll give you an example. When you go to Pier Park and you go in a store to shop, have you ever had a clerk say to you, now listen, we're not in any hurry. You think this over. Go home, talk to your husband, talk to your wife. We'll be here. We're here every day. You come back later on, and when you're ready and you decide, you let me know. You ever go to a car dealership, and they'd say, just make yourself at home. Here, we have refreshments for you. If I can answer any questions, let me know what they are. Leave, come back, whatever you want to do, it's fine. That's never going to happen, is it? Because people know in sales that you've got to keep the customer there in order to make the sale. So... You're not going to get much help from culture. You know, this past week I read in USA Today, talking about culture, that here's what happened. During the pandemic, there were people who actually decided to quit their jobs. So did you read about this? They decided that they wanted to quit their jobs. And now, what have they decided? Hmm, maybe I didn't think that through. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. I made a decision because I was unhappy with the circumstances. So I tried to change the circumstances by quitting my job, but guess what? I'm still unhappy. Hmm, it must not have been my job. It must have been the circumstances. Because during the pandemic, I had to stay home, and I wasn't engaged with other people. 
and I couldn't deal with that, and I got depressed, and I couldn't collaboratively work with other folks, and I didn't get to see people, and I couldn't go out, and I was just kind of a, a prisoner in my own home. And all those Zoom things, I mean, eight hours on Zoom is like three weeks in reality, you know? All that virtual stuff, it just sucks the life out of you, doesn't it? And you can't hear each other, and they can't hear you, and then it cuts off, and then there, it skips, you know, and you're going, what did he say? What did she say? I can't even keep up. And you're trying to communicate, and you got to get all the lighting just right. I mean, it just is no fun, is it? So here's what they determined. They determined that what they wanted was their job back because really, you know, they, they were not unhappy with their job. They were just unhappy with the circumstances. Now, there's a gravitational pull of culture today, and here's what it says. I want it now. I want more, not less. And there's no patience, and it's just a way of saying, hey, let's make a change. Let's do something, even if it's wrong. i got to go in a different direction. I'm not happy. And that's the fourth question is the maturity question. Because mature folks don't just make knee-jerk reactions, but they pray about it, and they think it through, and they bounce it off other people, and they get input, and they try to discern what the Holy Spirit is leading them to do. We want to talk about your past, your present, and your future when we talk about this. Now, have you ever heard the quote that says this? Those who can't remember the past are condemned or doomed to repeat it. You know, we used to tell our kids, they said, I don't like to study history. It's boring. It happened back then. Our kids were born in the 90s. They say, history, you know, stuff back in the 80s. I don't want to study that. I mean, that happened a long, long time ago. Well, here's the deal. You can learn from the past. You don't have to be the one who makes every mistake. There are other people who've gone before you. You can benefit from their knowledge, and you can learn from them so that you don't have to do that. Another way to restate that is those who don't pay attention to what got them in trouble yesterday are liable to wind up in trouble tomorrow, right? And so our personal past predisposes us to specific things. Because of what we've been through, we might be vulnerable in some areas. There might be temptations. There might be addictions. There might be blind spots. And we need to process what's going on in our lives in order to move forward because we're not seeing things from reality. We're not, we don't have a good perspective. Everything is jaded and skewed by our experiences. So what's the wise thing for me to do in light of my past experiences? Now, I'm going to talk to you about friends, and we're going to change the names, okay? Because I don't want you to know who, I'm not going to point anybody out or anything. But John and Carol were people who got, he got some unsettling advice when they went for premarital counseling with his soon-to-be wife, Carol. And the counselor said to John, in light of your family history, when you and Carol return from your honeymoon, you need to come back and see me alone. Boy, now that makes you nervous, doesn't it? I got to go to the principal's office. And then it gets worse. The counselor says this. In fact, I want to introduce you to another counselor, John, who specializes in family systems. Now, most men, like most men, John feels like he's already gone the extra mile. 
He's already paid for and attended several sessions of premarital counseling. And now the counselor is asking him to come back for more. And John's question is the same question that I think most of us would have asked. How long is this going to take? <laughs> and his counselor smiles and says, well, it's probably going to take several months. And now, of course, John is stunned. He actually gets mad. John leaves the office, and he gets so mad that he actually proves to himself his need for counseling to deal with anger management, okay? And the counselor recognizes that they're not just going to have first-year marriage issues, but they're going to have a lot of marriage problems that aren't typical because they're going to hit the buzz saw of John's pre-existing condition, and that is his past. Now, fortunately, John did what I believe most men probably would not do. In my experience, they're not willing to do. Two weeks after the honeymoon, John shows back up in the counselor's office by himself. Why? Well, because he was smart enough to say, is that the wise thing for me to do? And he took advantage of it. It wouldn't have been wrong not to go back. It wouldn't have been illegal or immoral. But John will tell you, it would have been unwise if I had done that. Now, that was years ago, and John is convinced that that second round of counseling saved his marriage. In fact, he said, I would have blown up and blamed her, and it would have ended our marriage. So what about you? In light of your past experiences, what's the wise thing for you to do? What can you learn from your past? Where are you set up to fail? Where are you predisposed to make a bad choice or a bad decision? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. It could be a, a female, could be a male, and they just have a habit of picking the wrong people. They pick the same person over and over and over again. It's not the same individual, but it's the same personality type. And there's something that draws them back to that person, and they don't even realize it. And then it ends with just everything burning down, and they go, well, what, what went wrong? Well, you're picking the same person, the same personality type, the same problem every time you go out, and it's never going to change that way. What's the wise thing for you to do? So you owe it to yourself and people around you and your state of mind when making the decision to ask the right questions. Now, my apologies have all come when I've overreacted to things. Y'all ever overreact to things? Y'all ever lie? <laughs> but here's what happens. All my responses are better. They're more polite and they're more accurate. I do better when I respond and I don't react. Because when I'm mad, the wise thing for me to do is nothing. <laughs> nothing. Just cool off. Go off by yourself somewhere. Take a break. Take a time out and just deal with it. Now, what about your current state of mind? What's the wise thing to you to, to do currently in your life? Did you just get out of a relationship? Would it be wrong for you to jump back in? Well, it might not be wrong, but it might not be wise either. 
The greatest regrets in life are preceded by unwise decisions, and sometimes there's a series of them. Jumping back into the dating game when you've just broken up with somebody or when you've just divorced somebody, that's not necessarily the right timing because you've got some issues to resolve. There might be one issue on top of another issue on top of another, and you've got to deal with all that or you're going to have regret. I served in a church one time, and they just had unresolved issue on top of unresolved issue on top of unresolved issue. I mean, the, some of the people in the church, they were just opposed to each other. They would have a preacher come in, and they just went through a litany of preachers. This preacher would come in, and this one group would just attach themselves to that preacher. So the other people just decided they didn't like that preacher because that group liked him. The next one came in, and this other group liked him. So the other group said, well, we can't like him because they like him. It was like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It was like cowboys and Indians. Whatever you say you are, I'm the opposite of it, and we're going to go to war. And it was like that. And I walked into the middle of that, and the previous pastor and associate minister had come in, and the senior minister had tried to fire everybody on the staff. And he got down to the associate, and he forgot to tell him they were having a staff parish meeting. Actually, he did it on purpose. And so the associate called him on it because he's supposed to be notified, and they got with the staff parish committee. The chairman of that committee was an attorney. He was so smart. He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, the committee is going to get up and walk out here in the courtyard, and y'all are going to meet by yourselves, and either both of you are going to stay or both of you are going to go. And so they talked together. He said, when you get through, come out and tell us what you decided. The senior minister said, let's work it out. The associate who had gotten shingles over the whole thing said, I'm going home to pack, and they both moved. And then we went there. A new senior minister and me. Perfect timing, right? They send the troubleshooters in. Did I tell you that this senior minister was really close friends with the previous senior minister? Did I tell you I grew up with the previous associate minister? And I thought I was just coming out of seminary. I said, my career's over before I get started. But you know what? We went in and we said to each other, hey, we're going to get along. It doesn't matter what they do. They can fight all they want to, but we're going to get along and we're going to turn it around. Now, there weren't any people in church because they'd been fussing. So half the people weren't attending church. There was no staff. There was nobody on the staff but us. And we worked so hard that summer and we went in to turn things around. And by the fall... These people who were leaders in this church started calling us and asking us. They said, we want to take you out to lunch. And they said, we think you boys going to be all right. <laughs> and then they started looking back at the building program again. And they had talked about it. They put it on the shelf. Now they started to do that. We hired staff. People came back. It all started to get better after that. But here's the deal. Your greatest regrets are preceded by unwise decisions. And so the wise thing, what's the wise thing for you to do? Well, it might be to look at my past and to learn from it. And that brings us to our future hopes and dreams. What breaks my heart is watching people make decisions that undermine their future hopes and dreams. And you see it all the time. Chances are that you've got some idea what you want your future to look like. And when you think about it, you never picture yourself alone. Nobody does. I'm guessing that you don't envision yourself without somebody else. But here's the challenge. When it comes to your dreams and goals and desires, 
it's a challenge because you have to be careful. You have the potential to contribute to your own demise of your relationship and what you hope for. Our excuses that we make are very persuasive because they're mostly true. I say, I'm not doing anything wrong. I can handle it. It isn't illegal. God will forgive me. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It isn't. This fourth question isn't to stop you from doing something wrong. It is to keep you from doing something unwise because unwise is the gateway to regret. And the challenge is you got to be willing to put away your old, worn-out excuses once and for all because they've never served you well. They silence your conscience. They cloud your reasoning. They diminish your ability to hear voices of wisdom around you sharing truth with you. So where do you want to be? If you're single and you want a relationship, what do you need to do in order for that to occur? What's the wisest way for you to move forward? If you're in a relationship, what do you need to do? Sometimes you think, I need to end the relationship, and you may, <clears throat> but it could be. It's just the circumstances. It's kind of like I'm going through COVID right now. I haven't done anything to do with my relationship, but I'm just going to change everything because I'm unhappy. Are you being honest with yourself? If you're married, what can you do to facilitate the dream? Think about your past and your current circumstances and your future and your wisdom. You owe it to yourself and the people around you. And I want to wrap this up and tell you a story. I want to tell you about when I was a young preacher years ago and just starting out in the ministry. I had a district superintendent who said to me, he said, I took a course on listening. He said it lasted nine months. He said I had to work a, w a day a week to prepare for the course. <clears throat> and then I had a day a week that I would actually attend the course. He said I learned things in there I use every day. It's such benefit to me. But he says, I was an old man when I did it. He said, you're a young man. He said, I want to recommend that you do it now. He said, it'll benefit you for your entire ministry. So I took him up on that advice. And I took that course. And I learned things in there, really, that I use every day. It was I learned things about relationships. I learned things about listening. I learned things about communicating. I learned things that were so beneficial to me in ministry and really, they affected every aspect of my life. And I was better in each one of those relationships because I went through that course. Now, I'm so thankful, first of all, that he told me about it. And I'm grateful that I took advantage of it because it was a decision that was of great benefit to me. So I want to ask you, what kind of decisions are you making? We're going to pick up there next time, but I want to give you three questions real quick before we go. If you've got your phones, they should be listed there for you if you're following along, or you can jot them down. The first one is this. Does this statement ring true for you? Our excuses escort us to the threshold of regret. In other words, do your excuses cause you to make decisions that you regret? You know, why am I not contacting that person? Why don't I go ahead and act? Why don't I go ahead and apply? Why don't I go ahead and take action? Why don't I go ahead and do something about that? The second one is when making a decision, why are you more prone to evaluate options through the filters of legal 
moral, ethical, and acceptable than through the filter of wisdom. In other words, why don't I give wisdom the same credence I give these other filters? Why don't I see the value of that? And then third, would you at least commit to asking the wisdom question for the next seven days every time you make a decision? What is the wise thing for me to do? Because we want to make better decisions and have fewer regrets. Let's pray together. Father, for everyone listening, for the next seven days, would you bring this question to mind so this would become a habit for life? What's the wise thing for me to do? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.